Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Bank Rate's annual emergency savings report once again shows most Americans are unprepared for a financial hardship, despite the fact that by now we should know to expect the unexpected. Also this morning, Nikki Haley is Donald Trump's sole remaining challenger for the Republican presidential nomination, but polling shows her far behind even in her home state. How much longer can she realistically maintain that challenge? And do you have a goal of losing weight or improving your overall health in the new year, but you don't want a complete overhaul of your diet or daily routine? It is possible we have a tool that can help. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, January 25th, 2024. The 25th of January, so one month since Christmas. Have you gotten your Christmas decorations down? (laughs) We finally de-Christmased at our house, Uh, although some of the exterior lights are still strong. It's just been too cold to get out there and take those down, so... Anyway, I think we're the last house on the block to actually have lights hung outside. <laughs> but anyway, um, but that's okay. It's still a little festive. Um, one month uh, from Christmas. So this is kind of interesting. Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, a new study of more than 600 students in the state of Ohio has found that the first few months of kindergarten are a critical foundation to a child's success. According to, uh, it's a, according to the study, and this is from The Ohio State University, adjusting to school is a big transition, and children who had fewer difficulties adapting made more significant strides in math, reading, and social behavioral skills. The research suggests that closer collaboration between preschool and kindergarten teachers could be beneficial for young children. According to the lead author of the study, quote, we need to make sure that preschool and kindergarten instruction is more aligned. Transition difficulties hurt children's development regardless of the initial readiness skills that they entered with. So breaking news from this study From the Ohio State University, the first few months of kindergarten are critical to a child's success. No kidding. That's wow. I I would file that under the category of research from the file of duh. That's we did know that, didn't we? Speaking of uh, kids, I saw this on the uh, newswire kind of uh, caught my eye. Researchers from Copenhagen in Denmark have found that a vegan diet, if you've gone vegan, and more and more people have gone vegan, uh, thinking this is a healthier diet, well, may be for you, but not for your baby. A vegan diet, they say, could actually be harmful during pregnancy. The scientists found that vegan mothers had a greater chance of developing preeclampsia, and their babies are more likely to be underweight. Researchers analyzed data from over 91,000 women between the years 1996 and 2002, and uh, vegans and vegetarians who uh, who tended to consume less protein and more carbs uh, had are more likely to have issues. Not universally, but more likely to have issues with their pregnancy. One positive is that vegans were less likely to develop gestational diabetes however since the study includes data from before 2002 vegan diet trends may have shifted since then so it's kind of interesting uh and by the way speaking of pregnancy a new study suggests that mothers with high levels of dental plaque can pass can pass cavity-promoting yeast to their newborns and infants. So if you don't have good oral health, mom, your kids may suffer. Your baby may suffer. Um, This particular yeast bacteria, Candida albicans, is found in the mouths of many healthy babies, but it can play a role in tooth decay in early childhood, a condition known as 
severe early childhood it carries. Is that how you pronounce it? Anyway, um, long and short of it is brush your teeth if you're pregnant. That's you should brush your teeth anyway, but especially if you're pregnant. Like I said, can pass that on to your kids. That's uh, it's amazing. Really crazy uh, science. You remember uh, yesterday we uh, we mentioned the uh, study which found that uh, while many people while many people are allergic to pets, sometimes pets can be allergic to their people. You remember that study? We were talking about it yesterday morning. This is kind of interesting. Speaking of your pets, uh, George Mason University has created a new computerized camera system that can show you what your pets see. If you've ever wondered what it is that your pets see and how they view the world, they say this system will allow you to show or it will allow you to see what your pets see with 92% accuracy. Uh, the research team from George Mason University created a camera system that inc- uh, can interpret what dogs, cats, bees, birds, and other animals see. Many animals have unique photoreceptors that can detect colors that humans cannot. So they see things very different. We've known for a long time that uh, animals' eyes are different than humans' eyes, and now we can see just how different they are. We can experience that for ourselves. Uh, According to Assistant Professor Daniel Hanley, we've long been fascinated by how, how animals see the world. Modern techniques in sensory ecology now allow us to infer how static scenes might appear to an animal. They say this could help researchers better understand animal behavior. So, fascinating science. Just amazing science these days. Thanks to computer technology. Uh, This is big news. Big, big news this morning. Maybe one of the biggest stories of the day. If you are a fan of... Knott's Berry Farm brand jam and cookies. You better stock up while you can because the company, J.M. Smucker, based in Ohio, J.M. Smucker Company, has confirmed that it has discontinued the Knott's Berry Farm grocery brand line of products. The roots of the brand go back more than 100 years to when Walter and Cordelia Knott opened a berry stand in Southern California, which eventually led to the company, Knott's Berry Farm. And then they actually end up uh, opening a park, became the Knott's Berry Farm theme park that still exists and is uh, owned uh, by Cedar Fair, uh, actually. Um, So another Ohio connection, J.M. Smucker, uh, based in Ohio, took ownership of the grocery store brand in 1998 And uh, the two entities no longer have any connection. But uh, now they have discontinued the Knott's Berry Farm brand jam and cookies and other grocery products. So if you're a fan, you can still find the products on store shelves while supplies last, but no new supplies. So stock up while you can. Big news. Big news. And lastly this morning... Among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Uh, You know, the tallest building in the United States currently is the Freedom Tower at One World Trade Center in New York City, 1,776 foot tall. Uh, They replaced the Twin Towers that were destroyed on 9-11. It's no coincidence that they are 1,776 is the height, 1,776 feet tall. Um, but believe it or not, that could be eclipsed in the very near future. Uh, a new complex called the Boardwalk at Bricktown uh, is set to uh, include this uh, new complex that's set for construction. Among the four planned high-rise towers is one that would stand at 19. 1,907 feet tall. And where would this be? Where would the new tallest building in America be? Where else but Oklahoma City? (laughs) 
I mean, if you were to guess where this would be, the tallest building in America, if not New York City, maybe you guess Chicago or L.A., San Francisco, something like that. Oklahoma City. Uh, the uh, height was, uh, again, intentionally 1,907 feet tall. Uh, that height specific to commemorate, uh, commemorate the year that Oklahoma was inducted into the you uh, became a state uh, inducted into the union. Uh, that said, now that's the plan. There are a lot of zoning changes that would be required to transform the property where this is supposed to be built uh, into an area where that type of development would be allowed. Currently, uh, it is zoned for buildings no taller than 300 feet. <laughs> so they've got a little ways to go. But uh, according to Scott Matt- Madison, CEO of Madison Capital, the dev- developer behind the project, said in a statement, we believe that this development will be an iconic destination for Oklahoma City. We hope to see the boardwalk at Bricktown stand as the pride of Oklahoma. Well, OK, I just I that's just weird to me. This is bizarre that we might have the tallest building in America in Oklahoma City, of all places, but could happen in the near future. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, cloudy and foggy today. Rain showers possible, high in the upper 40s. Showers tonight, a low around 40. Grobe Systems, a global leader in the development of manufacturing systems and machine tools, has announced that it has broken ground on a 135,000-square-foot expansion project that will add about 35% more space for production and shipping and add 200 new jobs to its U.S. headquarters and manufacturing facility in Bluffton. Grobe Systems says it's been investing in and expanding its Bluffton location since the first building was constructed in 1991, demonstrating its strong, unwavering commitment to U.S. manufacturing. Get more details in the story on our website. A summer collegiate baseball team called the Flag City Sluggers will call Finley home. A brand new baseball era is about to unfold, and we can't wait to see the talent that will shape this team. Stay tuned for updates as the Sluggers gear up to hit it out of the park and make Finley proud. That was the announcement the Flag City Sluggers made on their Facebook page. Get more details in the story on our website. In Northeast Ohio, the Stark County Board of Elections will not reconsider the disqualification of a transgender state house candidate after she didn't submit her former name on filing paperwork. Vanessa Joy was denied from appearing on the March primary ballot, despite other transgender candidates in the same situation being allowed to move forward. Ohio state law requires candidates list any name changes in the last five years, but that rule isn't listed in the Secretary of State's candidate requirement guidelines. I'm Tracy Townsend. Destination Seneca County has announced their major events planned for the total solar eclipse weekend that will take place starting on Friday, April 5th. The events will include an elope at the eclipse event, which is free for couples and guests. Couples must bring a valid marriage license to the event. Couples that are looking to reaffirm their commitment can also register and don't have to bring any documentation. Get more on this, as well as how communities are planning for the upcoming total solar eclipse in the story on our website. And remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, it may not come as a surprise, especially if you happen to fall into this category, that a majority of Americans admit they are unprepared for an unexpected financial hardship. In Bankrate's annual emergency savings report, just 44% say they have enough savings to cover a $1,000 emergency expense. Bankrate senior economic analyst Mark Hamrick joins us once again to break down the numbers. And Mark, I feel like we should add the disclaimer that this is a new interview, that we didn't just go back into the archives and pull out our conversation from last year or the year before or the year before that because it just doesn't seem to change. Good to be with you, Chris. You're right that there is a bit of a a straight line in in some of this, and perhaps that's frustrating in some ways because 44% of Americans being able to pay an emergency expense of $1,000 or more from savings might surprise some people when we talk about a low unemployment rate, uh, the stock market at record levels of late, 
some other positives that are out there about the economy. But the other part, of course, is uh, the major thing that has been weighing consumers down over several years now, and that has been historically high inflation. That right. is the number one reason that people have not been saving more money. Uh, now, this year's report is significant for a couple of reasons. First, it has been a full decade now that you've been putting out this annual survey yeah. with the first one back in 2014. Have the trend lines changed at all over the years, or do you see pretty much the same thing year in, year out? I would say both the good and bad news here is that 44 percent is the highest that we've seen in the 10 years doing the survey. It matches the level of two years ago. is up from 43% just a year ago. I think what concerns me uh, among some other issues with this survey is that 21% of those responding say that they would respond to this emergency expense by financing it with a credit card and paying it off over time. What's the problem with that? Well, Obviously, they didn't have emergency savings that were sufficient in the first place, and credit card interest rate is as high as we've ever seen. The average for new borrowers, those with the highest credit scores, is now 20 and three quarters percent. And so basically a third of Americans tell us they would borrow in some form, whether using that plastic, whether asking a friend or family uh, for money or taking out a personal loan. Yeah, so it would only add to the pain uh, of an emergency expense by compounding it in that way. And I I did think it was kind of interesting going back and and reading some of the headlines over the years related to this. Uh, You you mentioned inflation is the thing that is kind of hanging over people's heads uh, today. In 2014, healthcare costs were cited as one of the main things that was eating into people's uh, savings. And I feel like... Uh, And this may be a bit of, I don't know, tough love here, but I feel like we're just kind of making excuses in some sense. I mean, the harsh reality is that there will always be a reason not to save. I think you're onto something there, Chris, from the standpoint of how many Americans are living beneath their means. And that's what we really require, uh, along with having a budget and knowing what the expenses that we can expect, as you know, admitting that some will be unexpected, and aligning our behavior with that. And the reality is that in this uh, economy that is uh, so infiltrated by, for example, advertising, uh, and we don't want to curse the advertisers, of course, but... Uh, yeah. you know, we're constantly being implored to be parted from our money. And mm-hmm. how often are we being asked to save our money? Not very often. And so we don't have to answer every call to spend. Let's be a little more diligent with that so that we can hold on to our money and take advantage of some of these superior returns on savings. That's the positive side of right. the two-sided coin in a high interest rate environment. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because right now uh, would be a good time to save. Uh, probably like it's never been more expensive to borrow money. It's uh, not been uh, as, as uh, beneficial to save money in a long, long time as it is right now. That's right. And even if the returns on savings were, let's say, miserly, there's a huge benefit to saving. Right. right? And, and so, yeah. you know, we've been through those periods in recent years where the returns on savings were relatively low. But let's think about that extremely high cost of failing to save. So mm-hmm. even if we're sort of a zero percent return, at least you would have that savings. And uh, that's where we really want to point people here. Yeah. One of the other things that I thought was was kind of interesting looking at these this year's report in sort of a historical perspective, I mean, we're now, what, three or so years out from the pandemic. Were you a bit surprised that the experience that so many people had during the pandemic with like lost jobs and suddenly, you know, being faced with uh, having to pay the bills with, uh, you know, uncertain income and all of that, that that didn't trigger more long-term action? I mean, I think back to the generation that came through the Great Depression, that experience permanently altered the way many of them handled money for the rest of their lives. And the pandemic wasn't that, but it was a significant life-altering event in many senses. Well, it's a very good question and an interesting uh, issue to bring up, Chris, because if, for example, we think about the Depression era where banks failed left and right, and many of the protections that we see today, including federally insured uh, bank accounts. Many of those were in response to the depression, Mm -hmm. uh, but it took a long time for that to happen. It took three terms for FDR to be in office, to have uh, a more emboldened and powerful Federal Reserve, to have uh, what we now know today to be the FDIC and things like that. 
I think one of the things that did happen uh, that is the positive side of the response on the part of elected officials, members of both parties, and now really with the experience and the uh, sort of uh, fact that we had two presidents in office during the course of all this, with obviously President Biden coming in in January 2021 mm-hmm. uh, and Trump being in office before that, is you had an aggressive response on the part of elected officials as well as the Federal Reserve that may have given people perhaps a false sense of confidence that they didn't need to do more to protect their own mm. well-being, financially speaking. Yeah. And to your point, they, their long-term behavior, at least across the society, did not change, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. Uh, by the way, it's not like we're sticking our collective heads in the sand uh, with respect to this. Generally, the survey finds this is something people say that they are worried about. I think it's really impressive here in a sense of, uh, you know, people being mindful of the fact that they do need to do something that we had two thirds of Americans saying that if they did have a interruption in income or employment, that they would be worried about their ability to pay their basic living expenses over the coming months. So that really does show how many people are living on the edge. Mm -hmm. And for everybody listening out there, if they don't have a thousand dollars in the bank, Let's start today. Let's get that dedicated direct deposit going into a savings account that will give you some return, but you can also get at that money, make it uh, you know available to yourself in the event that you do need it. Uh, and then over time, if you can build up something like a minimum of three months of living expenses, I guarantee you down the road, you have that money in the bank, you're going to be glad you did that. And if you don't need it for such an emergency expense, then you can decide maybe you put it into an account for retirement or just, you know, sort of mm-hmm. let the money ride and get that four to five percent you can get in savings right yeah. now. Yeah. In the end, the the message uh, has not changed over the years. We talk about uh, doing this for a number of years now running, and that message has not changed. We need to get serious about socking away money for a rainy day because the thing about unexpected expenses is that we should, in fact, expect them. You know, the sun may be shining today, and if it is, that's great, but we still need to have the umbrella ready to go for the day when it's raining, and emergency savings is that umbrella for our personal finances. Yeah, and by the way, one of the other uh, things that I thought was uh, significant, was mentioned uh, being a full decade now, you've been issuing this annual report, you can get to a $1,000 expense a lot quicker now than you could in 2014. <laughs> it still sounds like a lot of money, but it didn't take long to rack up a $1,000 bill as it did 10 years ago. That's a very good point. And, you know, maybe we need to raise our uh, survey question <laughs> to reflect the change in inflation, given the fact that it now costs $120 to buy what costs 100 before the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, we've got a link on our webpage for more information about the uh, Bankrate Annual Emergency Savings Report and some of this uh, data. Again, Senior Economic Analyst Mark Hamrick with us uh, once again, breaking down some of the numbers uh, and a real eye opener for a lot of folks. Mark, thanks very much for taking the time. As always, we appreciate it. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks so much. I want to talk a little politics. We don't often talk national politics on the program. Generally, uh, leave that to you know the national pundits and so on. But I tell you what, this uh, Republican presidential race for the nomination. Um, is getting really, really interesting. So I want to spend some time on this this morning. We are joined by uh, Professor Alan Sanders, uh, Time Magazine, former Time Magazine senior reporter and Professor Emeritus of Political Science, St. Peter's University of Jersey City, New Jersey. He's been with us before. Professor Sanders, thanks very much for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Coming off this uh, uh, first uh, primary, uh, discarding the uh, Iowa caucuses, the first uh, traditional primary in New Hampshire earlier this week. Uh, President Trump uh, really took issue with Nikki Haley's tone uh, that she took in in her speech, um, it, which almost sounded like a victory speech. And I suppose, you know, even though she lost by, what was it, 11, 12 points, I suppose when you started off like 50 points behind to only lose by 10 or 11 points, uh, you can understand why uh, it, it did almost sound like a victory speech. 
Uh, yes. Uh, hi. Good morning, uh, Chris. That's right. Uh, look, uh, the early primaries, and we're still in the early primary stage here, obviously, are all about expectations. So um, expectations, it depends which side of the, uh, uh, you know, which, which side you uh, view it through. Uh, for Donald Trump, of course, he's well on his way to get the nomination. He did score uh, significant victories in both Iowa and New Hampshire by um, large margins. Uh, but as you point out, uh, for Nikki Haley, she was supposed to do not well at all. Mm-hmm. And of course, she did lose, but she did come uh, with something like um, over 40% of the vote in New Hampshire, which, yeah. uh, given where she started, uh, was quite amazing. So that's why she sounded like, uh, you know, a victorious candidate. But obviously, she faces she faces an uphill battle uh, to go up against uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, were you a bit surprised that she's the last one standing? Uh, because part of the the bump that she got or the momentum that she had uh, certainly is from other candidate supporters uh, who have dropped out, the candidates who have dropped out, who have migrated to Nikki Haley's uh, camp. Are you surprised that she's the last one uh, standing the last challenger to Trump uh, in the race? No, not really, because I think she tried to thread the needle uh, uh, better than uh, the other candidates. Of course, she had two candidates, Hutchinson and uh, Governor Christie, former Governor Christie of New Jersey, who went up just against uh, Trump, you know, opposed him every step of the way. Right. The other ones tried to dance around Donald Trump by saying they would do a better job somehow or other. She simply danced around uh, much better. They all know that uh, the MAGA base, uh, the Trump MAGA base, is cemented to Trump. There's nothing you can do to separate these folks right, right. now. Uh, from a Trump candidacy. So they had to dance around, and she was most adept uh, for this reason. She's very conservative on policy. If you listen to her on policy, she's quite conservative. She is, uh, in, you know, uh, aligned with Trump on many policies. Uh, but nonetheless, she puts forward a more moderate face. She's mm-hmm. able to do that uh, by the way she speaks and the way she kind of spins things. So I'm not surprised that she is the last surviving candidate up against Trump. So uh, certainly her showing in New Hampshire is giving her momentum heading to South Carolina. will keep the donor f- uh, money flowing. But this one is going to be a challenge. And this is one of the things that I think uh, makes this really interesting. South Carolina is her home state. And does she kind of have to win uh, in South Carolina, uh, in order to make it to Super Tuesday, I can't imagine too many donors uh, willing to write big checks if she doesn't win. I mean, if if it were me writing those checks, I would say, hey, if she can't even win her own state, then what's the point? Yeah, I think this is a make-or-break election for her. It's a month away, so she believes that she can make some headway uh, in the election there. She is, again, the underdog in South Carolina. She hasn't been governor there for uh, quite a few years now. Remember, she was U.N. ambassador right. during the Trump uh, administration. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, the relationships may be a little faded at this point, uh, but more importantly than that, uh, the state Republican establishment has lined up uh, behind Trump. So the two senators, the governor, they're all Trump supporters, about Trump supporters right now. And so she does face a challenge. If she can't win South Carolina, uh, that will be a significant problem. And I think you're right. You may see the money sort of dry up. For now, she has uh, money. Uh, she's fundraising uh, actively. Uh, and she's bought uh, some, um, I think, something like $4 million in ads in South, South Carolina. Just, she's going to put up a good fight. Uh, how it comes out, I think, will be determinative of whether she would will continue to have money, uh, you know, going forward uh, right. into the Super Tuesday elections. Well, and uh, again, despite the fact that she was uh, uh, only, she only lost uh, New Hampshire by, what was it, a, a 10, 11, 12 points, something like that. Uh, the aggregate of the polling in South Carolina has her down by 30 points. So uh, again, it's maybe uh, one step forward, two steps back kind of uh, kind of thing with, uh, with respect to that. And I wonder, do you believe that she is actually in it to win it or is she out to make a point does she see the white writing on the wall here well i think she's out to make a point i'm not sure she would be willing to accept the vice presidency because if you take a look at the way pence uh, was asked to serve under trump it yeah. was not a very powerful or it, very prestigious office and i don't know that it um, would be offered to her uh, anyway right Right. I think what's more likely is that, remember, right now it's about getting delegates, and she does have some delegates coming mm-hmm. out of um, 
New Hampshire. I think part of the strategy may be that uh, there's some thinking that uh, in some Republican circles, could be her circle as well, that Trump will falter. That is to say, as we start getting serious about the criminal prosecutions that he faces right now, and we're kind of preliminary hearings and motions and so forth, but uh, if we do get into an actual trial, and if the actual trial does result in a conviction, um, I think she wants to position herself and to say something like, listen, I told you so. Uh, this man uh, brings chaos and disorder. Mm-hmm. Now he's got a criminal conviction, if in fact it does happen. And so she can stand uh, tall and proud and said, now, what about me? Yeah, she you know? wants to be there uh, as maybe the safety net, if nothing else. But again, she she has to win somewhere. She can't keep coming in second uh, in a two person race uh, in these uh, primaries and uh, be able to carry on much longer. Well, that's right. I mean, you can, you know, exceed expectations. And right now she's trying to sell herself as somebody who is exceeding expectations. But at some point, you actually do have to win an election and say, look, I won. I really won. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is the challenge. And it's unclear that she will be able to do that. Uh, even in South Carolina. Yeah, so it will be a critical month uh, between now and then to see what transpires. And now that we are down to two, and uh, again, absent some strange uh, twist of fate that would uh, alter things more than likely, we will see a Trump-Biden rematch of all of the candidates who tried to challenge Trump, what are the prospects for their political futures beyond this race in 2028 and 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 so on? Will we see any of these, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, uh, any of those uh, come back uh, another for another race or have they kind of uh, kind of blown it with their their chances in this process? Well, I think it all it all depends on what happens in the general election. Uh, if uh, Donald Trump goes down to defeat, somebody like Nikki Haley might be able to come back and say, look, I predicted this, I told you so, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, she might be able to make another run at it. Uh, but the ones who stuck very close to Trump, uh, and who supported him and who continued to support him. Depends what, how they behave in this election cycle. If Trump gets beaten, uh, it's going to be very hard for them to say, well, I'm the future of the Republican Party because yeah. people will say, well, look at what you did. Uh, you, you're back to a losing candidate. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if Trump wins the election, uh, there's another problem here. He's going to pick uh, as a successor uh, somebody who he believes is a, you know, an acolyte, somebody who will uh, further uh, and genuflect uh, uh, before him. Yeah. And he'll uh, try to anoint that person to, to continue his legacy. Um, so I'm not sure if any of the uh, current candidates uh, will fit that bill for him. Yeah, it'll be interesting uh, to see the uh, political future of those who uh, tried to uh, challenge Trump this election, election cycle, to be sure. Fascinating race, unlike uh, any that we have seen in recent memory, to be sure. Again, uh, Professor Alan Sanders with us uh, this, morning, uh, this morning, former Time Magazine senior, senior reporter, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at St. Peter's University. University of New Jersey. Professor Sanders, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Appreciate your insight. My pleasure, Chris. Have a great day. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. So, as you know, I uh, was recently uh, traveled, and uh, if, if you've ever uh, traveled by air, Uh, You would think that by now, most people should know that uh, the TSA uh, does not take, and and not just in this country, but around the world, uh, security officials really don't take jokes about terrorism. Uh, They don't think those are funny. And... Apparently, uh, one man in Spain learned that the uh, hard way, uh, Aditya Verma, is facing a fine of $120,000 for a terrorism joke he made while flying uh, from, let's see here, he was flying to Spain from, I'm not sure where uh, he was flying from, but he was flying into Spain, back into Spain. In July, he sent a message to his friends before boarding his flight 
sent a message to his friends on Snapchat saying, on my way to blow up a plane. <laughs> the, the joke <laughs> prompted the Spanish Air Force to send two fighter jets to escort the flight <laughs> because of the threat. Now, Mr. Verma faces a charge of public disorder and more than $100,000 of the fine that he is facing is the cost for deploying the jets to escort the flight. Uh, Mr. Verma did not put his message on Facebook or advertise it. What he did was the equivalent of making a joke uh, just, you know, with friends inside of a car in private, according to his lawyer. But the uh, court wasn't buying it. He now faces a fine of $120,000. Don't do that. Don't do that. They don't find that funny. They don't find the humor in terrorism jokes. Yeah. Just a word of caution there. Next time you travel. Don't don't make a don't make a threat, even as a joke, and post it online anywhere. They'll find it. A Wisconsin man is accused. This is our dumb criminal of the day. In the state of Wisconsin. Um Lake Halley police say a Wisconsin man is uh, accused of operating under the influence. After the cops say he drove into Lake Altoona while evading officers. <laughs> drove into the lake. Police say they were trying to pull over a speeding pickup on Tuesday night when the driver turned off the headlights and drove out into the lake. I don't know if he thought it was probably frozen or um, actually, I guess it was frozen. Uh, It didn't sink. They found the truck stuck in the snow on the frozen lake. Um, (laughs) The police at Lake Halley had to call Altoona police for assistance in uh, locating the truck and getting it uh, off the ice. Nicholas Rickey arrested after trying to cross the lake on foot. Then uh, police say he had alcoholic drinks in his pockets and in the back of the pickup. So (laughs) not a big surprise. That alcohol might have been involved somehow in that story. Technology is not always what it's cracked up to be. Uh, In Texas, a man is suing Macy's and the parent company of Sunglass Hut because he claims facial... Well, he didn't claim. I mean, it's I guess it's proven now. Facial recognition software is to blame for his wrongful arrest. Facial recognition software. Uh, Harvey Murphy Jr. spent almost two weeks in jail after facial recognition technology falsely identified him as a suspect uh, in an armed robbery. When prosecutors verified that Mr. Murphy had been in California at the time of the robbery, not in Texas, uh, they released him because that's pretty solid alibi. He is now turning around and suing the companies for $10 million for the wrongful arrest based on the negligent, what he says, the negligent use of facial recognition software. The lawsuit claims that uh, Essilor Luxottica, the parent company of Sunglass Hut, relied on facial recognition technology provided by Macy's. That's why those two companies are involved relied on uh, Macy's facial recognition technology to falsely identify him in low-quality surveillance footage of the robbery. Mr. Murphy's lawyer says this case highlights the dangers of the technology that is currently being used by retail and by law enforcement in some cases. Wow. Two weeks he was in jail until they could verify he was in uh, California. Thank goodness he was in California uh, at the time. He could uh, provide a a solid alibi. That's crazy. Uh, Suing for how much was it? $2 million? $10 million. Uh, Something like that. Anyway, he's suing $10 million. That's... Wow. In other broken news... (laughs) This is why you you should never cheat. Even if you're trying to help out a loved one. In India, this is from the International File, in India, 
Angres Singh, age 26, uh, was arrested after dressing up as his girlfriend in order to take a test for her. <laughs> Boy, what a real drag that was. Uh, but I'm bum. Uh, Mr. Singh from Punjab, India, allegedly shaved his beard, put on makeup and dressed in drag in an effort to take a recruitment exam for his girlfriend who had previously failed the exam the first time around. Uh, she wanted to become a healthcare worker, but there was an entrance exam uh, that is a prerequisite. She couldn't pass it. So he figured, no problem. I'll dress up like you and I'll take it on your behalf. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? He aroused authorities' suspicions when they noticed that his face didn't match the picture on her application form. Uh, his biometrics were then subsequently tested and found not to match the ones on record. He was arrested for the stunt, along with his girlfriend, who was accused of conspiracy in the plot. They now face, face multiple charges and even more on the way as police conduct an investigation as to how uh, Mr. Singh managed to forge the documents he needed to actually get in to sit for the test. So, <laughs> Oh, man, sometimes cheating can be a real drag. That case, literally. And finally, a good news story in the broken news this morning. Always like to share these when we have them. A pet cat is being credited with saving a woman's life and salvaging much of her home after a fire in Fresno, California earlier this week. A spokesperson for the Fresno Fire Department said the woman's pet cat nudged her awake after she had left a stovetop burner on, which started a fire. Uh, fortunately, they, uh, there was a fire uh, station an engine that was on a training exercise in the area when the fire was reported and they were able to respond within a minute of the call. The woman safely escaped the fire and suffered only minor smoke inhalation. According to the fire department, she's going to be fine. And they were able to save her home, uh, mostly minimize the damage all because of her pet cat. Isn't that awesome? How about that? Here you go. That is uh, today's Broken News Report, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When local news breaks, you can hear about it on social media at lightning speed. And while getting you the information fast is important, WFIN will always present the story only after verifying with actual sourced facts. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Trust the voice that's been covering the news in Finley and Hancock County for more than 80 years. You can depend on us to get the story right every time on social media, 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and at 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Is your college student studying too hard? Um... You know how young people today, especially college students, are trying to, to cram and get everything uh, done down those energy drinks. They are very, very popular. But scientists in Norway have connected uh, energy drink use with insomnia in young adults. This is probably not very surprising, actually, but it is uh, eye-opening data nonetheless they crunched the numbers from more than 50,000 young adults linked uh, uh, energy drink use with uh, sleep efficiency. So they crunched more than 50,000 young adults. Uh, the data was in the survey. They found people who drink more energy drinks spend more time in bed but not asleep. 51% of women and 37% of men who regularly consumed energy drinks said that they had trouble sleeping compared with 33% of women and 22% of men who drank energy drinks only once in a while or never. So that's a big jump. The more energy drinks you consume with uh, chronic insomnia. Like I said, probably not surprising, but eye-opening and something to really think about the next time you down one of those monster energy drinks. 
Well, it is goal-setting time, and one of the most popular resolutions each year involves losing weight and improving our overall health. But in doing so, most of us are not really interested in a complete overhaul of our diet or our daily routine. So is this even possible with smaller incremental steps? Well, our next guest says it is. He is registered dietitian nutritionist Scott Keatley, member of the Advisory Council for MyFitnessPal. So Scott, what are some of the ways, some of the things to keep in mind when we are setting these health goals uh, and, and working to build those long-term sustainable habits. Well, I think you said it right there, is, is this idea of sustainability. We want things to be sustainable, and what that means is that we can do whatever thing we want to do for a long period of time. When we, we come off the New Year's, we're ready to go. We've told everybody about our resolutions. It's, it's a thing. We're going to throw the kitchen sink at it. We're going to go nuts, but... All the research, everything we know about people shows us that if you do that, it usually doesn't have the best outcomes. And that what you want to do is you want to take a step back. You want to level out that energy just a little bit, and you want to start small. You want to get something um, in your routine that you can do, that you can do long-term, that you can do well, and then build upon those things. So, but I will say the, the second thing is the way you set your goals. Um, we've got good finish line goals. We're mm-hmm. ready, you know, to lose 20 pounds or build 10 pounds of muscle. Right. But we want to have some intermediary ones there. We want to have, you know, make sure we get enough protein, make sure we're having enough fiber, drinking enough water, things like that, so that way we can have wins along the way. So not only is it possible to achieve those goals without completely overhauling our routines, it's actually the preferred method of doing this sustainably. So you have some uh, practical tips uh, and tools to create those sustainable habits that we can stick to throughout the year without feeling overwhelmed, as you were saying. 100%. Use the tools that are available to you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, Using an app uh, like MyFitnessPal to track your food and nutrition is a great way to start because you can't see the changes you're making unless you've actually recorded all that stuff. So tracking your food, it not only holds us accountable, but it lets us know sort of how the things we did impacted our body. We can look back a week, six weeks, a month, three years, however long we've been tracking for to sort of see what works because we're going to have an inevitable backslide. We can't do, be, we can't be perfect forever. And so being able to look back and say, okay, this is what I did. This is how I got here. Let me get back to that. It's a great way to understand um, uh, how everything is going for you and to move your journey forward. So are there some strategies uh, that folks who want to lose weight or uh, just improve their general health, some strategies and places to start? I mean, you know, kind of give, uh, give folks some guidance here uh, on, on where we begin. Yeah, so track your stuff. Have the calories in, calories out but also the quality of the food that you're consuming. Make sure you're looking at how much protein, fat, carbohydrates you're getting. Um, look at the fiber intake that you have. And so to help with this, you got to have a plan. Uh, our MyFitnessPal, they've got a new plan. It's called Small Steps, Big Wins. Uh, it's developed by the nutritionists over at MyFitnessPal in collaboration with um, award-winning actress Kate Hudson, who I'm, I'm sure everybody knows. Right. Uh, this, this is a, a one-week challenge that introduces you to those small changes that can have the big impacts. It's, it's helping you build that foundation for everything that you're going to need to do going forward. And the best part of it is, is maybe it takes you one week to get through it. Maybe you want to go through it again and again and again to really, really get those things there. Cause it took us, you know, it took us a long time to gain the weight that we may not want. Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to take us a little bit of time to get rid of it. So having that plan available is absolutely essential. But I will say that if you're, if you're already sort of on this journey and you need more support, it's a great place to start because you've got a database of, of 19 million food items, which means it's going to be easier to track stuff. 
There's hundreds and hundreds of recipes. So that way, if you want to improve the quality of your meals, it's there, ready to go. And my favorite feature, and I use this when I'm looking at swaps, uh, is you can take a picture of, of a food item or a meal, and it'll actually help you to log that. Uh-huh. So if you've got, you know, 4 p.m., you're hungry, you're looking for uh, that chocolate glazed donut, you <laughs> take a picture of it, you get all that information and you go, whoa, you can, you can say, well, what could I have instead of it? And I'm looking at that chocolate bar that's got nuts in it. It's half the calories. It's got more protein and you're still going to feel like you had something delicious. I, I think that's so important because so often I, I think what uh, undoes people, uh, their, their undoing is, is not really knowing where to start, not knowing where to turn uh, for that, that good information. Yeah, I want to do this, but you know, where do I even start? So it sounds like you've got a great way to get people on that path and then sustain them once they're there. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's the key. Uh, if, if you're doing this right, you're going to end up eating more food than you probably were before. So if you're, if you're doing uh, something and you're starving all the time, track those things. Look at where all those calories are coming from. And can you swap out something that's really high calorie for something that's a little bit less and have more of it so that way you're full and satisfied after your meal? Mm. Really good stuff there. Again, a registered dietitian, nutritionist Scott Keatley with us this morning talking about making those healthy uh, goals uh, stick this year, which is always such a challenge for people. That's why it's uh, really popular year after year after year because uh, people struggle with this. Where do we get more information, Scott? You can go right to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, download My Fitness Pal, and you're ready to go. Scott, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. And with that, we finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, it has been three months since the VA announced a new clinic would be coming to Findlay and about six months until it officially will be open. But Hancock County Veteran Services is doing much of the hardest work right now. We'll get an update. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.